Grace and peace to you all. Thank you. Thank you. Give you a quick thumbnail of the book of Exodus. Are you ready? The people of Israel were in slavery. God sent Moses to lead them out. Okay, that pretty much captured it right there. As he led them out, he was taking them to the promised land. The promised land, and with a really large group of people, was a march of about 10 to 12 days away. And the people of Israel, they marched and they marched and they marched, and 40 years later they got there. So if you're doing the math on that, you may notice that it took a little longer than 10 to 12 days. What happened? What happened is that they were not really very good at listening to God or following His instructions. So they got up to the edge of the land and God said, send some folks in who can bring back stories about what a great place it is. So they sent 12 guys into the land and 12 guys came back and two of them are like, this is the best place ever. We should move in right away. And 10 of them are like, oh, the people there are really scary. We don't want to go there. And so the people of the nation said, we're going with the ten instead of the two. And God said, fine. You guys don't want to go in? You can't go back. So we're just going to wander in circles here for about 40 years. And when all of you are dead, I'll bring your children in and give them the reward that I've been promising for generations. This beautiful land that I have given to you. So the book of Deuteronomy which is a couple of books later in. It's the fifth book in to the Old Testament, if you're following in your Bible. The book of Deuteronomy is this whole speech that Moses gives 40 years later when the people of the nation of Israel are about to finally go in to the promised land. It is said this is the last thing Moses did before he went up on a mountain and he died because he didn't get to go in. And in this speech, as you read through the book of Deuteronomy, he's sharing his frustration and his hopes and some wisdom. He actually shares a lot of frustration. God, uh, Moses uh, whines several times in the book of Deuteronomy about how, how God was going to let him into the promised land, but you people wouldn't let me in. Moses was 120 years old. He was a little cranky. <laughs> So he shares his wisdom and he reminds them of the covenant that they made with God. And this is where God came to the people and God said, I will be your God if you will be my people. And God laid out these ten commands. He said, this defines our covenant. If you can do these things. And then he gave a whole bunch of other instructions to Moses to bring back to the people that just kind of explained how you could live out those ten commandments. The other commands are instructions for knowing what is right and doing what is right. Knowing what is right and doing what is right. Now, Deuteronomy in particular, Moses goes over a whole bunch of rules and stuff that are additional. And he starts out by giving the Ten Commandments, and then he gives all these additional rules that kind of define how you live out life by the Ten Commandments. And I'm sure you all are aware of this. 
Most rules are made because someone did something stupid. And the same thing, I think, is true for most of the rules that we read in Deuteronomy. Someone does something that's just crazy, out of line, and as a result, someone feels the need to write down a specific rule saying that you can't do that. Kind of like when I was a a youth pastor, and then uh, after a very deep, moving, and meaningful meeting that I had with the youth group, the uh, elders board got together and, and wrote a new rule that said, Youth pastors are not allowed to have candlelit services on the new carpet with their kids <clears throat> because the kids burned all the wax and it was all over on the floor. <laughs> the same unreasonable group of people told me we were not allowed to play soccer and use the altar as a goal. Can you believe that? Most rules are made because someone did something they shouldn't have or that they should have, shot, should have thought through. Here's an example. Here's an example. There we go. Deuteronomy 25, verses 2 and 3 say, If a guilty person deserves to be beaten, the judge shall make them lie down and have them flogged in his presence with the number of lashes the crime deserves. But the judge must not impose more than 40 lashes. If the guilty party is flogged more than that, your fellow Israelite will be degraded in your eyes. Now, outside of this specific rule, think about what's being said behind this. Essentially, they're saying, look, excessive punishment has a lingering effect. Excessive punishment isn't the point of, of why there's punishment. It's supposed to be something that guides people back into community. You know, you serve your time, you take your lashes, and then you move on. You've learned to don't do this. It has a bad consequence. So why do they need a rule for that? Well, probably because someone gave too many lashes, beat some guy half to death. Someone was lost because of it. They were damaged. Or they, they became less of a full person in the eyes of the community. Oh, yeah. That's, that's Tim. You remember what happened to Tim. He got a hundred lashes. What a horrible person he must be to get a hundred lashes. Oh, what did he do? Well, I, I don't really know, but he got a hundred lashes, so don't trust him with anything. There was a judge somewhere who forgot to view the guilty person as a brother or sister who was supposedly being restored through correction rather than being viewed as less than human or excessively punished. Fortunately, nothing like that would ever happen these days. Here's another rule from Deuteronomy. This is actually the very next one, Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Because if you muzzle an ox, it can't stop and eat once in a while. If you, if you don't muzzle it, what happens is, is they're pulling their, their uh, little threshing thingies, the harvesting things. They, they'll stop and they'll grab a mouthful every once in a while, kind of keep them going. Now the rabbis taught that this is not about being kind to animals. Or at least it's not just about being kind to animals. It's actually about allowing people to reap the rewards of the work that they do. So it's not just about oxen, it's about all of us. Um, In uh, the New Testament, the Apostle Paul actually uses this as an example. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, he says, It's written in the Law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God's concerned? This is a teaching method. He's saying, okay, this isn't about the oxen, right? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us 
Because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. People who do the work deserve a share of the profit. Right? You do some of the work, you deserve to profit. Now, how big your share is or how small your share is, it depends. Stu's doing work right now. He's mopping the floor. I don't have to mop the floor now. There's no particular profit in that except that I will not slip and fall. And so I will give him cookies after the service and say thank you. (laughs) Why does this need to be a rule? This is a rule because someone refused to share a fair portion of rewards with their workers. They made them work and they didn't give them anything for it. Or they didn't give them a fair amount for it. So a rule had to be written down, had to be established. Treat people fairly. Fortunately, nothing like this would ever happen nowadays. Every time I say that, by the way, that is sarcastic, just so you know. Just then, yeah. I've had people come up to me after the service and say, you know, that actually does happen. Yeah, it does. Here's another good rule. Uh, this is... Uh, couple verses down, Deuteronomy 25, verses 11 and 12. If two men are fighting, and the wife of one of them comes to rescue her husband from his assailant, and she reaches out and seizes him by his private parts, you shall cut off her hand and show her no pity. All right, I have some bad news for you. This is not the weirdest rule in the Bible. It is not. Now, obviously, this was made because someone did this, and in the process of doing this, somehow she emasculated some guy or damaged him enough to destroy any chance that he was ever going to have kids. There's also a cultural thing going on here. It's immodest. No one should be touching the junk of anyone they're not married to, right? I'm sorry, that's a euphemism because I'm not allowed to use certain words from the pulpit anymore. Now, what's the point of bringing all this up? Moses wants people to become something more than they were. He wants to to help lift them up, to give them something else, something they're striving for. He wants to, to lead them towards kindness. He wants to teach them you need to look out for each other. If you're going to defend your husband, there's other ways to do it. Right? He wants everyone to represent the Lord in the land that they're entering. That's why he's giving this big speech as they're lined up, ready to go into the promised land. He wants them to remember, above all, you are blessed. Right? So we get to Deuteronomy 26, which is where our actual passage starts today. In Deuteronomy 26, Moses says, When you have entered the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and you have taken possession of it and settled it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you, and put them in a basket. So, remember the covenant. Covenant is this contract God has with his people. And that covenant, his promise, came with this piece of land. He said, I'm going to give you this land. All right? He promised their ancestors way, way back. Genesis chapter 12. Oops. There we go. Apparently I'm way... Oh, I'm clicking the wrong button. I hate daylight savings time. Have I mentioned this already this morning? I hate daylight savings time. There we go. Genesis chapter 12. 
The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. This is the beginning of the promise or the covenant. Follow where I lead you, Abram, and your descendants are going to become a great nation. And the whole earth is going to be blessed through them. If you read through Genesis 12, it's this whole thing. That's what it says. Look, Abram, you just go where I lead you. You're going to have lots of kids who have lots of kids. And in the end, it's going to be a whole nation of people. It's not just a family anymore. And the whole earth is going to be blessed through them in this promised land that I'm giving them. And so in verses 6 and 7, we hear that Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. You've all been there, right? Yeah, I don't know where that is either. Probably a tourist trap. Five five bucks, you can see the ancient tree and drive through it. Didn't ever do one of those drive-through trees up northern California? I was in Eureka for three years, so there, there were three drive through trees when I got there. There were only two when I left. Oh, uh, it was a windstorm. It wasn't me. Uh, what I discovered is that if you have a minivan and you drive through, you have to put the mirrors in first. That's my, that's my travel tip. Yeah, how important are those, really? Fortunately, I have the ones that fold in, so it just, it just kind of, it, the tree folded them in for me. It was very nice of it. It has nothing to do with this verse, though. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So Abram built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So, after God has shown that he kept his promise, this is what Moses is talking about, look, God promised this, You're moving in. You are getting the land that God promised to Abram 500 years before. He promised this. It's happening. We're moving in. We're going. And after God has proven to you that he has kept his promise, after you move into the land and you settle in and you cultivate some crops, then then take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land that you're the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name and say to the priest in office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. Let me break this down just a little bit. First fruits, it's the first harvest. Nothing is ever all ripe at once. You always have to harvest more than one time. Got an orange tree in front of the house that we have next door that our culinary students live in. And I got to pick the first oranges off of it uh, about two months ago. And there are still oranges on it right now. They just don't all ripen at the same time, right? So first fruits is that first time you go through the stuff that you pick the first time. And it doesn't even say bring all of it. This is right after after the people move in. It says just bring a portion of it. Put a select portion. Now, there there may be some suggestion that it should be the best part, which is fine. God gave you a whole tree. Give him a few oranges, right? Put them in a basket. Bring them to the place of dwelling for God's name. Um, i got to tell you that the word name here, 
The verse, there's like 34, 35 verses in Scripture that talk about the dwelling place of God's name. Um, and we can make a big deal about the name, but really it just means his, his fame or his... his uh, Identity or his his presence it's kind of it's where God's central presence is, where he declared it to be um, at this point, what the people know is that when they left Egypt and started their forty years of wandering, there was a tent that was created it was called the tent of meeting, and they were led by God's presence in a cloud, and when the cloud would Settle. they would go and they'd put up the tent of meeting and then the cloud would move and sit in the tent of meeting. And that's where Moses and Joshua would go and they would meet with God. And then when the cloud came out of the tent of meeting, they all knew, okay, pack your stuff up, we're going to move to the next spot because you can't have a whole nation of people um, stay in one spot for too long because they didn't have plumbing. So, you know, the... Once you've dug a few latrines, you know that you really need to move to another location every once in a while. Um, Enough said probably there, huh? (laughs) Things not to talk about? Well, there's still breakfast on the table. So where God's presence was said to be was at this tent of meeting. And then they built something called the tabernacle. At this point, they had the tabernacle. It was essentially a whole temple made out of really fancy woven... um, sheets and giant hides that had all been stitched together and lots of ornamentation. And, and uh, right at the center of it, there was a special room called the Holy of Holies. And this was the spot that God's presence was said to be in the Holy of Holies, where he would sit on the Ark of the Covenant and meet with the high priest or with Moses or whoever. It was right at the center. And uh, later on, they built the, the temple. The temple was designed just like the tabernacle with that holy of holies at the middle and there was a a big heavy curtain that kind of separated that section off from everything else because it was said to be so holy because God was there that that only certain people could go and only after they'd completed certain rituals and all that and after the the death of Jesus we're told that the veil that separated that was torn ripped aside, ripped apart as God's presence left. His name was no longer dwelling there in the temple in Jerusalem. Um, but that's a story for a different day. For right now, we just know that... What's that? Uh, you know, well, that's, that's the idea. Or that God's presence was no longer required there for the forgiveness of sin because Jesus had paid the price. But we'll get to that in about four weeks when we get to Passion Sunday. And we'll hear about the, the crucifixion and the, the passion of Jesus. I, I just mentioned it today because it's this idea that God dwelled in a certain spot up until a certain point, and then he left. And this is not the first time that you hear about that. There's actually a, two other occasions where God's presence is said to move into the temple and then visibly actually leave the temple when the people had disobeyed and worshipped other gods and God said, fine, I'm going to go ahead and leave since you don't need me. And then they realized they needed him and said, well, please come back. And so his presence moves back into the temple. And Anyway, getting a little sideways from what's going on with Moses here, but um, what essentially God has promised them is in this promised land there will be a place that will be the place where my name will reside. It will be the place that you can come and know that this is where you can meet with me or my representatives here on earth. So on arrival in the promised land, once that first crop comes in, the people are supposed to bring a select portion of the first fruits to the priests at this central place where God is worshipped by name. The place where God is with them. 
And once there, they're supposed to acknowledge that they've received what God promised. God promised, look, Abram, your ancestors, the people who go down the line, your descendants, excuse me, the, the people who come from you, once they're a great nation, they're going to move into this land, they're going to take it all over, I'm going to put a place up that my name will dwell, and then they can come visit me there. And once all those promises are complete, Moses is saying, look, when that's complete, and you've harvested something, so you know you're here, put some of that in a basket, bring it to that place. And then in verse 4, he says, The priest is going to take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few people, and he lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. All right, so who is he talking about? Who do we keep coming back to? Jacob. All good guesses, though. Jacob. We come back to Jacob almost every week. So we got Jacob. Jacob was the wandering Aramean. Now his mother was an Aramean. His wives were Aramean. So it's easy to say that his family are Aramaeans. And he was a wandering nomad. Remember, when he, even after he moved back into the, the territory that he had grown up in, where his brother was in charge, he was still wandering. He's still a shepherd following where the sheep go, looking for the best pasture. They didn't really set down roots anywhere. And then Jacob's son, Joseph. Um, we talked a little bit about his story through some of the amazing things that happened to him. He became the protector over Egypt, second in command only to the king, the pharaoh of Egypt. And he brought his family safely to Egypt during this horrible famine that was starving everyone. He said, come, come here. I've got a spot for you. I've got a spot for the sheep. I'll make sure you get grain. I'll make sure that everyone's fed. Just come on in here. And he brought his whole family in, 70 people all together between his brothers and sister and children and everything, 70 people went to Egypt. And then 450 years later, in the Exodus, Moses led out a nation. Not just a family, not just a tribe, but a whole nation of people. It may have only been 600,000 people. But more likely it was somewhere between 2 and 4 million people. Depends whose numbers you go by and whose stories you tend to believe. I tend to follow this larger number myself. Somewhere between 2 and 4 million people left in the Exodus. Why did they leave? They had to. Egypt wasn't good for them. The Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. See, this word cried, cried out, is a word in Hebrew, sa'ak. Say, sa'ak. No, really, say, sa'ak. Sa'ak. You feel, even just saying that, sa'ak, it feels like it, there's a knot in the middle of your stomach to say that word. Sa'ak. You got I make that same noise when I work out, so I don't do that often. Sa'ak. Sa'ak is a cry from the depths of your soul. It's, it's an agonized cry. It is keening. It is just 
When you're so desperate, there's nothing left to do but scream. That is sa'ak. I'm crying out. And when the people cried out, God heard them. And God saw them. And God acted. It's the last thing that you say to the priest. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. And he brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil so that uh, sorry, now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given to me. Now, so people have moved into the promised land. They've set up camp in the promised land. They have grown produce in the promised land. They have put some in a basket. They have brought it to the priest. Why bother to repeat all this stuff? Why remember what brought you to the place where you're at now? Well, I think Moses wants them to remember because this reminds them, first of all, of the covenant. That promise that God made to them. And it reminds them of God's faithfulness. How God has kept His word. He's kept up His end of the bargain. And he reminds them, this reminds them of God's power. Hey, you remember when all the people got out of Egypt? All the weird things that happened, all the supernatural things, frogs, blood, darkness, death, and how God brought us out of that? And it reminds them of their blessings. It reminds them of the, the things that God has done for them and how wonderful life is now. The things around them that they can hang on to and say, oh, this is wonderful. I might have challenges here, but look at this. Not always. Sometimes darkness means death. But in the, uh, the plagues that led them out of Egypt, one of the plagues was darkness, where essentially God turned out the lights in Egypt so that even the light of a candle wouldn't shine. It was just completely dark on Egypt for three days. But in the little circle of land called uh, Goshen where the Israelites lived... Perfectly normal. It's one of those things that just unsettled everyone. Can you imagine living in darkness for three days? I don't even like to be dark for ten minutes. I didn't like to be dark. We had the power outage uh, two weeks ago. My kids still, every night when we get home, they're like, is the power on today? Like, yeah, it's one, you've experienced one power outage in your entire life. This is it. So this little uh, recitation helps them remember their, their blessings as well as God's covenant and His faithfulness and His power. Remembering is a tool. Remembering should uh, help us. Remembering helps keep us from evil, right? Because we remember, oh, I did that and I felt bad about it, so I don't want to do that again. I did that and someone got hurt. I don't want to do that again. It should be the things that help steer us toward good. Remembering our lives should always steer us towards good. And they should always increase our gratitude in life. Essentially, God is faithful. And we are blessed. We really are. So we need to count our blessings. When, wherever and whenever you are in a position where you feel like everything is caved in on you, stop, take a breath, and count your blessings. You'll find the things that are blessing your life outnumber the things that are dark or difficult in your life. But dwelling on negatives always disrupts our attitude and changes our actions for the worse and changes our lives for the worse. 
But gratitude, being thankful for what you have in the here and now, this is something that helps you recognize that you are valuable. Your life has meaning and it has purpose. Right? Because that's true about every single one of us. Even though sometimes it feels like you've hit a dead end, there is a way forward, always. Always. And uh, even recent medical studies... I'm pointing like you can see my notes. Look, recent medical studies. Recent medical studies even show that gratitude boosts your health. It helps you sleep, and it helps you cope with things as they come along. Healthier behaviors and attitudes lead to happier people. I was reading, a, 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 I'm diabetic, um, most of you know that, and I take shots and insulin, it's really depressing sometimes, but I was reading in this diabetic, diabetes management magazine that just stopping and reflecting on some of your blessings every day actually lowers your blood sugar. It helps you relax, it helps de-stress you, and when you de-stress, your blood sugar comes down a few points. And this is the great thing. Gratitude doesn't just help you. It actually leaks out of you and gets on other people. Like sweat, but in a good way. In fact, that's what it says next. Moses says, put the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before Him. And then you... And the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given you and your household. So when you start rejoicing in your blessings, the people around you get that joy stuck to them too, and they start rejoicing. They get excited for you. Why the Levites and the foreigners? Why do they get excited about you bringing an offering? Well, I'll tell you why. Because they have nothing. In this promised land deal, um, that comes in and the tribes got to split up the land and, and each of them had land that they worked and they produced their food and their livings. But the Levites, that's the people who worked in the temples, they didn't get land. They had a job that they needed to do that kept them busy all the time, so they didn't get to go work the land. So the offerings that would come to God that were not devoted to God, the ones that weren't burned all the way up, they were given to the Levites, the temple workers, to make sure they had food. And one of the things that they needed to do with their food was make sure that anyone who didn't have food got food. That's part of the job of the church, is to make sure people get fed. You want to know why we feed people almost every day? It's our job. From the beginning, that is God's instruction to his people, take care of those around you, work on living in community. Levites and foreigners had no land, so they had no resources. So when someone brought this blessing and said, God has blessed me and I'm bringing this, they rejoiced not just because it's happy for you, but also because it means they could fill empty stomachs. How many people are grateful that someone provided funds that we could have waffles and oatmeal for breakfast? Gratitude benefits you Israelites, this is what Moses is saying. Gratitude benefits you, it benefits the priests, it even benefits strangers who live in or are passing through your community because joy is infectious. Joy. I would do the happy joy dance right now, but... Yeah, right, yeah we don't want to do that. So the question becomes, how do you remember to be grateful? How about this? 
Before you go to bed tonight, think of three things from today that you're happy about. Three blessings from today. Reflect on each one. Remember, how did it make me feel when that happened? How does it make me feel thinking about this great thing? What is it about these three things that I appreciate? I mean, maybe you've got 50 bad things that happened, but you'll still have no trouble coming up with three things. I guarantee it. Most of us don't have 50 bad things. Most of us have 120 great things that happen every day and two bad things. And then we go to bed thinking about the bad things. Why? Because we're not very smart sometimes. I'm, I'm blessed by having my children. They're blessing me right now with their voices from the next room. Alaric and Tamison, can you hear me? That means you're being too loud. Could you quiet down a little, please? Thank you. That doesn't mean laugh at daddy. No, that means shh. All right. So reflect on three things. There's one of my three things. Because my children do bring me joy. And I hear them laughing in there. They're not screaming and fighting right now. So that's a blessing. Even if they're being loud and interrupting me. What was that? There you go. So this might be one of your three things. So when you get to the end of the day today, think back and say, what are the three things today that I really was blessed by? Three things that really happened that I am grateful for. Maybe you could even start a journal about it. Just write those three things down every night. It could be, it could be simple things. It doesn't have to be something complicated. It could be, man, you know that cup of coffee I had this morning was perfect. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, really, I really need to start drinking coffee, apparently. <clears throat> I don't get that excited about my bottle of water. But I am blessed that I have a bottle of water because I, I know what it's like to have been thirsty. So maybe there was a cheerful bird singing when you woke up today. Maybe your first thought was, shut that thing up. It's way too early. Daylight savings time stinks. But when you think back, you're like, ah, that's so nice that there were birds singing. Maybe it was as simple as uh, I woke up this morning and I took a breath. Every day we wake up breathing is a blessing. Maybe it's the company of someone you care about. Whatever it is, think positively. Think about it. You will have no trouble coming up with three things. You'll have no trouble coming up with a hundred things if you keep at it, I promise. But just focus on three things. Maybe write them down. Or maybe write them on on, uh, slips of paper. Maybe you need encouragement. If you write down three things on three separate slips of paper every day and you stick them in a jar or a bucket somewhere and you keep it, or in a pocket in your backpack or wherever, and you keep those slips, and anytime you get down, you reach in and you pull one out and you look at it and go, oh, that's right, I was blessed by that. It's going to give you that little lift. A little joy boost, as it were. And this is going to sound weird. This is another way to, to be grateful. Remember some of the bad things. Remember some of the bad things, but remember how those bad things were overcome. Because it always gets better. No matter how bad things are, something always gets better. Even in this thing that Moses had the people say, they remembered the bad things. Man, the Egyptians made us suffer so much that we cried out in anguish. But God stepped in and led us into freedom. Awesome. 
It's not about living in denial. It's about recognizing, you know what? There are difficulties in life, but our blessings outnumber them. If we can hang on to something that we're grateful for, even those little things, it doesn't matter so much that there's stuff that sucks going on around us because we have these good things to hang on to. Um, Dr. Nicola Davies says, Gratitude isn't about living outside of your reality. It's about broadening your perspective of your reality and helping you recognize there is good in your life. These instructions, as weird as some of them are, they're given to help us stay positive and help us live in community with one another. And then the passage that we looked at today is specifically about helping us remember gratitude so that we can find joy in our lives. Man, pick some fruit. Bring a basket. That first wheat harvest, bring some grain. Share your joy. Share it with all the people around you. Count your blessings and share your blessings. Today, like I said, it's the first Sunday of Lent, which is this season of preparing to remember and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. A blessing. And as we build up towards Resurrection Sunday, we're going to spend these few weeks looking at God's covenant and what it can or should mean for us. Today, we've seen that it means when God promises us good things, He delivers. God always delivers on His promises. We can be grateful for the many ways that He delivers on our promises. There are many blessings. Does everyone here agree with these things? Am I I way out on a limb and you're like, that guy's just nuts? Everyone has at least one blessing they can think of in their life at this point, and it's only 10.15 in the morning? Is that blessing that I'm wrapping up? That's okay. I'm good with that. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm giving you homework. I don't usually give you homework from up here. I usually just give you suggestions and inclinations and ideas. Hopefully. But I'm going to ask you to do something. I want you to find a way to record and remember the things that you're grateful for this week. All week long. It's easy. I hear it's easy. All right. Three per day. At the end of every day, make a list. Three things. And then I want you to bring it back next Sunday. And when we get to praise time, you can share it with the whole room. Or you could keep it to yourself. And that's okay. You know why? Because making that list is going to add joy to your life and that joy is going to leak out and get on other people whether you want it to or not. I want the rest of you to be miserable but my joy keeps getting out and making you happy. I don't really want you to be miserable, I promise. So make a list. Bring it back next Sunday and share it. I have no idea where I am in my notes. Will you do that? Will you make the list? If you will make a list, if you will keep a list and bring it back next Sunday, raise your hand. I want to see that you are going to make the commitment. You are going to do your best to try to remember to do this. I am going to do my best to try to remember to do this. You know what usually happens when I give homework? I forget about it until like Friday. (laughs) So you're going to help hold me accountable. Every day you could say, "What, what are you grateful for? I should be able to tell you the three things I'm grateful for from the day before. I'm going to count the fact that so many of you raised your hand as one of my things for today. With all that, let's close in prayer. My things that I'm grateful for? Absolutely. I will. Do you want to read your grateful things? Absolutely. I'll give you time. Absolutely. 
Why do you think I dragged that praise time out so long? I want to hear what is going on in people's life. I want to hear the blessings. Because I think the more we share our blessings, the more we recognize that there are blessings in our lives because we see them in other people's lives. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> I'm cheating. I'm essentially just saying what Moses said. So, share your blessings. What was I doing? I was closing in prayer. That's right. Father, thank you so much for the many blessings that you do pour out in our lives. Thank you for your consistent faithfulness to each and every one of us. God, I wish we were as faithful to you as you are to us, but thank you that you are always there, always reaching out for us, that you always care for each and every one of us. If anyone in this room has, has come to the end of a rope where they can do nothing but cry out in agony, sa'ak, Lord, we know that you are listening and that you are watching and that you will act if we allow you to. Please, Lord, help us remember to reach out to you when we need help. Help us remember to lean on each other and help us remember to share our blessings so that others can be encouraged as much as we are. As we go out of here today, don't let a single person who's here walk through today without seeing blessings multiplied around them. Seeing all the good things Dim the darkness in our eyes and shine that light up so that it's so bright we can't miss it. We pray this in the name of your son Jesus, one of our greatest blessings. Amen. Amen. And amen.